Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message. Knowing that I was going to be preaching this morning, Pastor said that he's hopefully going to be allowed to go in public as of Thursday of this week. So, Lord willing, we'll see him next week. I'm not sure if he'll be teaching yet. He said, if I were to teach, I think I could go for 20 minutes. And the whole congregation said, amen. No, uh, that's not true. Uh, Especially with the long-winded preacher that's uh, replaced him, right? Um, But uh, Lord willing, he'll be able to be here with us next week. If not, he'll get here in due time. In the meantime, continue to pray for his strength. But um, I, I knew I'd be preaching today, and so I had in mind, here's where I'm going. Last week. And then it came time to develop the sermon that I had all drawn out in my head. And I don't think I have a bit of last Sunday's sermon for this Sunday in this sermon. Uh, this is something that uh, developed as I sat down to try and uh, do things. I, I only say that because uh, we are going someplace. I'm not sure how we're getting there, but we, we are going someplace. And so maybe next week we'll have the one that I actually planned for this week. You'll notice uh, the series, Walk by Faith, Serving the Lord. Um, it, it's interesting because Within the concept of serving the Lord, there, there are a few things to take into account. Uh, number one, one of the struggles uh, when it comes to doctrine uh, through the centuries has been uh, you've got to be doing something. Um, and hopefully, you know, God will weigh all those things out. And uh, the more you've done will somehow get you into his good graces and uh, you'll get to go into heaven. And of course, then because most people recognize there's no quantitative way of measuring it, well, let's throw in a, uh, a, hope, a line of hope. If uh, you don't do enough, you can always go to purgatory and pay for uh, your sins. Be purged of your sins by suffering for um, a few millennia. And uh, of course, that, that was not even accepted by the Catholic Church until around the 1500s. So it was not part of the doctrine beforehand. But everyone knows that there's this judgment where we're going to give an account for the things that we've done. And so most people think that that includes salvation. When we come to the scriptures in Galatians 2.16, he uh, says three times in one verse, no, sh- no flesh will be justified by the works of the law. No one can be in a right relationship with God by the things that they do. And he goes on to say, but by faith in Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ because no one will be justified by the works of the law for it is written, no one will be justified by the work. I mean, three times it says, no, works have nothing to do with salvation. And yet at the same time, 
when you're saved, when you're a participant in the blessings of Abraham, you have a, a new heart, the law of God written on it, uh, a new spirit, the spirit of God in you, um, and it's irrevocable. You, you, you can't lose that. Okay, Most people that believe you can lose your salvation, they're looking at anecdotal evidence. Someone has been in the church for 10 years, and they got their feelings hurt, and they went off and lived for the world. That doesn't tell us anything other than, okay, there, there's been failure. That doesn't tell us they weren't saved. It doesn't tell us that they lost their salvation. It might tell us that they weren't saved at all. First uh, John 2.19 says... They left us to manifest that they were not one of us, because if they were of us, they certainly would have remained. Okay? So, people that aren't saved, they might join us for a while, and they might leave. It doesn't mean they lost their salvation. It might mean that they never had it. And, of course, if you look at the story of Israel as a nation, they were taken out of Egypt uh, they were baptized into Moses, like we're taken out of the world and we're baptized into Christ. And then how well did they do in their Christian walk for the next 40 years? Yeah, not, not so good. So if you haven't done so good as far as you're concerned, well, you're in relatively normal company. Okay? Now, by God's grace, you'll grow You'll learn more about Him, how to depend on Him and Him only, not on your own strength, your own wisdom, your own understanding. And you'll find yourself in Romans chapter 8, living in victory. Uh, but how long did it take them to go from being baptized to getting into the land? Forty years thereabouts. Uh, I am... 42 years old in the Lord this week. Finally got there, I think. <laughs> uh, but uh, whole point being is we are still going to give an account for the things that we do. And so now as Christians, we have this idea that I, I've got to do things. Well, you do. Okay, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about that. So what kind of things do you have to do? Well, you need to serve in Awana, and Larry says, there we go. Um, or teach a Sunday school class, or, or, or. I can tell you that that doesn't mean you're serving the Lord. Now, hopefully within serving the Lord, you might be involved in a variety of ministries in this church. Uh, Trail Life, American Heritage Girls, uh, Awana. Um, there are uh, a variety of things going on that you might participate in. Uh, we need volunteers to come over and listen to the kids at school and uh, their reading and stuff like that. So there's plenty of things to do, but even that thinking where service to the Lord happens here is incorrect thinking. So let's get a few foundational things taken care of today. And then we'll talk a little bit more about serving the Lord, Lord willing, next week. So, notice, number one, we are saved to serve. Now, letter A, wrong thinking. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, when you die, you get to go to heaven. Now, I've heard John MacArthur talk about lordship salvation for quite a few years now. I've seen Christians act very ungodly when confronted with the concept of 
recognizing his lordship in their life, um, and, and I'm talking pastors, uh, thinking that this is false doctrine when the Bible says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's not saying words. That's recognizing I lived my life for me. It was all about me. I was God, and now I am repenting of that and recognizing he's God. I'm giving him his proper place in my life. Now, that doesn't always work out in practice the way we'd like it to, but there's that recognition. Repent and believe in Christ. So the second part is, and, uh, and believe in your heart. That's the concept of you're, you're trusting this is it. There, there's nothing else that can get me there. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Notice, the death is included, but it's not the important part. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Now, why do I say that? I think we've seen a couple of generations of young people grow up in the church and they go off to college, and we can talk about the lies that they believe and stuff like that. That's not the issue. We've gotten them to make a profession. They, they've gone forward at a church or a youth camp, and, and they've asked Jesus into their hearts, and now they're good. No. No. It is wrong thinking to think, that the gospel is about you going to heaven. Okay? It is not about you going to heaven. If I fly to Brazil, I'm going to most likely land in Miami. I may land in Atlanta. I hear you can actually land in Houston. Not sure why you'd want to go there. But, but you know, those are three places that will fly down to Brazil at that point. When you go to Miami, you leave here at about 5 o'clock in the morning. You get down to Miami, and you're going to get there, what, 7? And you are going to sit there until 9.30. When you're going to get, not 9.30 in the morning, 9.30 at night. And you're going to get on your plane, and you're going to take off around 10. And you're going to arrive 16 hours later at about 6 o'clock in the morning. I know you, you just did the math, and it's kind of like, that ain't 10. Uh, it's about 8. Uh, but there's a time difference. They're about 6 hours ahead. So maybe 5. But uh, you're going to arrive in uh, Sao Paulo uh, early the next morning. And then you get to hop on another plane and fly up to uh, Mato Grosso, Cuiabá. Uh, whole point being is heaven for us is kind of like Miami. Someone says, God forbid, <laughs> there's lots of problems in Miami. Yeah, I understand. But it's a layover. It's, yeah, we go there. Hallelujah. It is the dwelling place of God at this time. But what's God's plan? He coming back here. Okay? And this is going to ultimately be his dwelling place. The, the celestial city uh, in the air, 1,500 cubic miles. Have you ever considered the size? We're talking about from probably... Uh, KC, a little bit beyond KC over to New York City. That's the, the length, the width, the height. That's going to be floating, we think, above Jerusalem there in Israel, which means there ain't going to be any space for sun to get through. Oh, that's right, there's not going to be a sun because the light of that city is going to be the light of that kingdom. And uh, so 
it's a layover. We come back here to rule and reign with Him. So heaven isn't what it's all about. So notice number two. Of what are we to repent? See, if, if heaven is all that it's about, and all you got to do is ask Jesus into your life, then of what are you to repent? And of course, most people are going to say, well, you got to repent of your sins. I've had people tell me, you've got to repent of all of your sins. I have real, two real problems with that. Number one, I don't remember them all. I've done enough of them that I, I could never remember them all. And then number two, what's the standard? Because see, if it's up to me determining that something is sin... I'm probably going to lower the standard. If God's the standard, can I tell you that I don't know sufficient about him to think that I haven't sinned without even knowing it? And if I had to repent of all my sins, and I didn't even know it was a sin because I didn't understand the holiness of God compared to what I had done, I couldn't repent of all of my sins. So if we're to repent and believe, of what are we to repent? So notice uh, letter B, ownership and control of the gift of life. Now, I, I threw in the gift of life there because it's not just ownership and control of your life. It, life, the physical life, before the spiritual life comes in, that's a gift of God. They're, they're, everyone that's walking on this earth is accountable to God because He made them. No, he didn't. My mom and dad, you know, they got together. Yeah, and he is the one that weaved it all together in her womb. He owns everyone. People will come in, and I'll I'll be talking to them in the benevolence meeting, and I'll say, why should God let you into heaven? And they'll go, because I'm a child of God. I go, what makes you a child of God? I was born. Kind of like, no. Yeah, you're a child of God in the sense that you're part of his creation. If you are not a child of God by faith in who Christ is and what he did, you're not a child of God. You're by nature a child of wrath. Okay? So when we get here, it's ownership and control of the gift of life, both the physical and the spiritual. Notice, number one, salvation is not an event with good consequences. Uh, this, we're very event-oriented. You know, what day, what moment, what, what hour were you saved in? And if you don't know, then you're probably not saved. No, 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 no. Okay, I think I was saved September 6, 1981, at around 12.15 in the afternoon. The reality is, is I have absolutely no idea when the actual saving faith happened. I know all week long I'm riding a motorcycle in New England going, oh God, please let me get back to church. I'm afraid I'm going to die and go to hell. I had some real understanding of my sinfulness at that time. And when, he finally, when I finally went forward in the church service and the guy shares the gospel with me, it's kind of like, I done already did this. About a year earlier, I had read a chick track, This Was Your Life. And I was so convicted that I got on my knees and I prayed that little sinner's prayer at the end of it and absolutely nothing happened. When was I saved? I don't know. I know that in John chapter 2, the disciples believed. And in John chapter 4, the disciples believed. 
And in John chapter 6, the disciples believed. And according to Acts chapter 11, when did they get saved? When they received the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So when did they get saved? I think it was Acts chapter 2. Not when they believed, when they believed, when they believed. See, they were in the pre-salvation decision-making mode. And that might have been what the chick track was for me. And then after I got saved, I still struggled with all kinds of sins. And I questioned my salvation. I don't know how many times I asked Jesus into my heart and that kind of stuff. See, it was all about me somehow getting in the good graces of God so that when I die, I could go to heaven. There's good consequences if you, if you get saved. That's true. And let me see, what are some of those good consequences? Jesus promised that if you were born again, you're probably going to suffer like he suffered. Uh, excuse me, could we redefine good? I, I'm not sure I like that part. Tough. <laughs> so it's not an event. Uh, and number two, glorifying God is not about stopping sin. I remember one Wednesday night, um, I was speaking and I, I said, it doesn't matter if you sin or not. Now, I did not finish the sentence before pastor as a good teacher said, yes, it does. <laughs> and I said, let me finish. It does not matter if you sin or not. He, yes, it does. It's kind of like, Please let me finish. And my whole point was at that point, if you're born again, everything you do, think, say, etc., is your sacrifice to God at that moment. Because you're going to give an account for everything that you've done in the body, whether it be good, glorifying to Him, or bad, not glorifying to Him. So if you sin, that's your sacrifice at that moment. What do you get out of it? Ashes. It goes through the fires, wood, hay, and stubble, and you'll get nothing out of it. So choosing to walk with Him is a better sacrifice than choosing whatever you want. So glorifying God is not about stopping sins. It's more about living the way He's called us to live, demonstrating His character, His light, etc. Letter B, being a Christian or a follower of Christ. Acts chapter 11, verse 26 says, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch so that, uh, so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So basically they were learning things. It was showing in their life and they were called Christians. It was probably meant as a, a derogatory thing when it first happened. Oh, there's one of those little Christs over there. You know, that kind of thing. But uh, when I say being a Christian, I mean someone who is a follower of Christ. Number one, salvation puts one in a right relationship with God. Matthew 4.10 says, Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall not worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Kind of like, what does that have to do with a right relationship with God? It's putting God or acknowledging God as the one that is worthy to be worshipped, and it is living for His glory. So that's what it's all about. Notice uh, letter A, God is Creator and Lord. Because He is Lord, 
I mean, excuse me, he is Lord because he is creator. Like I said about the person that's uh, a child of God because of creation, not good enough to get into heaven, not good enough to have a relationship with the Lord, not good enough to be uh, have eternal life, but it is true they are children of God because he's their creator. Therefore, he's the Lord. But he is also Lord because he is redeemer and savior. This is the lordship that we talk about when we talk about our salvation. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. <coughs> Whenever I speak, I get a little nervous and things go on in my... Yeah, forget it. Uh, you know what I mean. Okay? So, so he is Lord because he's creator. And he's Lord because he is redeemer and savior. Of course, the second one is the only one that really puts us in that right relationship with God. Notice, if He is Lord because He is Creator, and He is Lord because He is Redeemer and Savior, we are creatures and subjects. We've been created, and we are subjects to the One who has created us, as well as redeemed and saved us. As creatures, we are totally dependent on the Creator, Walking in dependence is, by definition, a recognition of our need and His worth. If you want to get technical, walking in dependence is worship. I'm presently making a bed, twin bed. Got this little hump on the headboard. First time I've ever done that. Well, I've had humps before, but this is a different one. And it's all made of poplar, which is a softwood. I don't know what it is with people wanting to paint things. I like stain, you know. But they want to paint it, so it's made of poplar. And uh, when I'm done, I'm going to take some pictures. And I'm going to post it. And everybody's going to say, wow. And I'm going to go, yeah, I know. (laughs) No, uh, what's that? (laughs) Wood, hay, and stubble. That's right. That's right. But see, until I give that bed to somebody else, it's mine. I made it. They didn't pay for the wood. They didn't pay me to do it. It's mine. Well, that's the same thing that's true about God. We're His. And He has complete right to do whatever He wants to with us. And so we are totally dependent upon Him. Now, because He is, by nature, good, what can we expect from Him? Good. Now we turn around and look at what happens in the world. Uh, someone comes through the bedroom with uh, something and it hits the bed and, and there's a crease in the wood. And we say, God, I thought you were good. Kind of like, he is good. But he uses those creases and those situations to conform us into the image of his son. And depending on how you receive those things... Uh, If you're totally dependent upon Him, if you're worshiping Him, chances are most people won't even look at that crease. They'll look at what happened because of the crease. Okay? Uh, Letter B, worship, to show reverence, adoration to God. If you are walking in dependence upon Him, are you not showing reverence? Are you not showing adoration? So, like I say, that seems to be by definition worship. As subjects, we exist to serve the Lord. Again, Matthew 4.10, 
uh, you shall worship uh, the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. <clears throat> Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will love, uh, be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, in that particular case, it's talking about money, or if you will, anything that might distract our attention from the Lord. But whole point being here is we exist to serve the Lord, not to serve personal agendas, not to serve money, not to serve government, not to serve our company, whatever the case may be. So we exist to serve the Lord. So serving God involves a few things here. I don't know that this is a complete list, but uh, these things are going to be part of the issue if you're going to serve the Lord. Number one, truth. Uh, In other words, as you serve the Lord, you're going to be serving the Lord in a way that's consistent with His Word. The example that we have is Numbers 26.61, and Nadab and Abihu died when they offered profane fire before the Lord. Here they are, they're uh, lighting up the incense on the altar of incense, and they didn't get the fire to light it up from the correct place. They got out their Zippo lighter and, or their Bic lighter instead of going to the altar, and God said, no, we're not having none of that, and they were dead. There is a way to serve the Lord. And if you're going to serve the Lord, you've got to serve the Lord in truth, consistent with what He says in His Word. One of the things the church has done over the last, oh, I don't know how many years, but uh, we've uh, taken a business mentality when it's come to the church. And therefore, we want to, well, let's, let's get a bigger building. You know, if we get a bigger building, we can house more people. And uh, if we're going to have more people, we can't be saying things that might offend them because, well, then they ain't going to come and someone's got to pay for the building. And we're taking on this business mentality. So you, you see the seeker-friendly format. Those that are seeking. What does the Bible say about people that seek God? No one seeks after God. No, not one. So we're going to design our whole thing about people that don't exist. You ever think, uh, who put these guys in charge? You know what I mean? The, the reality is, is the church is an assembly of called out ones. Now, if an unbeliever comes, should they feel welcome? Sure. Uh, we should accept them. Should we affirm their lifestyle? No. If their lifestyle is inconsistent with the Word of God, we don't want them living by lies, and we're not going to live by lies. So we can accept them, but not necessarily affirm what they're doing. That's seeker-friendly, if you want to get technical. Uh, It's not seeker-friendly because the only reason why they're seeking, if they are seeking, is because of the work that God has done in them in the first place. So we want to accept them, but we don't necessarily want to affirm their lifestyle. So we want to uh, serve in truth. We also want to serve in love. Uh, Matthew 6, 24, we've already read. How about uh, uh, Romans 12, 11 says, Not lagging in diligent, fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Uh, the concept of fervency is the idea of boiling water. 
you know, the fire is lit underneath. Uh, you know, when it, when it comes to people serving the Lord sometimes in the church, uh, what we need is a flame about this high. Nobody got that one. Okay. Uh, we need someone to light a fire underneath their, um, you know, to get them moving. Uh, because fervent in spirit, you know, here's another opportunity to, to please God. Oh, God, give me wisdom and grace to do it right. And, and you get involved. Okay? But we, we like our comfort and uh, just soon, especially if you've got to deal with some other kid, other person's kids. I mean, who wants to do that, right? Ugh. But love out of a fervent spirit. And then uh, number three, joy. Our, our scripture reading this morning, uh, Psalm 100. Um, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Remember what you just said about someone else's kid? Oh, that wasn't you, that was me. Uh, uh, <laughs> serve the Lord with gladness. Oh, good, I get that kid again. Praise the Lord. Okay, Lord, what are we going to do this time? Uh, how can we open this kid's eyes and his heart to the truth of how you would want him to live, uh, what he needs, etc.? And then, of course, uh, Romans 12, 11, and 10. I already read verse 12. I mean, 11. Uh, 12 goes on to say, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Uh, now, you'll notice rejoicing in hope. Hope is believing what God has said is going to happen in the future. I'm dealing with that other person's kid that I'd really like to just... But my hope is... If God is going to save this kid, he's going to conform him to the image of Jesus Christ. So how can I be a part of it? So I'm rejoicing in hope. It goes on to say, um, patient in tribulation. Boy, this kid is a real trial. Thank you, Lord, that you have already given me all that I need for life and godliness through the knowledge of you. So with that in mind, give me grace to demonstrate love and patience and joy and self-control, that kind of a thing, okay? Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. This kid is such a problem. And are you leaning on your own understanding or are you trusting the Lord? If you're trusting the Lord, maybe you need to acknowledge him in all your ways. Steadfastly in prayer. So uh, that's all part of joy. Uh, number four, determination. Uh, going back to Romans twelve eleven, not lagging in diligence. You're about the business. You're not going to be deterred from the business. Why? Because what I'm doing is for the Lord. It is not just, it makes me feel good. Okay? Um, so determination, uh, backside of your sheet. Hey, we've gotten through the first sheet in a half hour. I do that every week. Don't worry. Humility, number five, humility, the recognition of duty and opportunity. Uh, Luke 17, uh, and which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, so he's been working for eight to ten hours already, he comes in from the field, and you being his boss says, come at once and sit down to eat. He's asking the question, would you do that? And the answer is no. He goes on to say, but will he not rather say to him, I know you've been working all day long, but it's time for my dinner. So why don't you uh, cook my dinner, uh, gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk. And afterward, you will eat and drink. 
That's an awful selfish boss. No, that's normal. Okay, that is normal. I, I hear some of the arguments of these young people. You know, this guy has a pencil factory, and I'm making minimum wage, and he's getting all of the profit. It's his pencil factory, you silly person, you. Okay, he's the one that took the risk, uh, built the company, buys the materials. What do you do? You sit there for uh, eight hours and paint the thing yellow. What should you get? What it costs to paint the thing yellow. Minimum wage. What should the boss get? The profits. He pays you out of the profits. Okay, that's, that's how it works. That's what should be expected. And that's basically what he's saying here. He goes on to say, Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all the things which you are commanded, say... We are unprofitable servants. We have done what, uh, what was our duty to do. So when, when we look at humility, we're, we're recognizing we're supposed to be serving the Lord, and that's what we're going to be about. Because we're servants. We exist to serve. We've been saved to serve the Lord. A couple other verses there, Acts 20, verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. As a pastor, I can tell you there have been times when people have walked away, and it's been hurtful. And there are times when there are tears, yes, from a man's eyes, about what happens in the ministry. Sometimes it's hurts that come upon because someone says something personally that hurts. Sometimes it's because you know where the path that they're walking on is leading them. And, and it is a bother for a shepherd to see the sheep. Oh, let me see if going over here by the edge of the cliff is really a good idea. Uh, th- that's how some people approach their, their salvation. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. That's right before not lagging in diligence, uh, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Okay, so there's a certain amount of humility that is necessary if you're truly going to be serving the Lord. And then that was uh, the concept of uh, being a Christian. How about following Christ? Matthew 20, uh, 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So look, if you're going to be a follower of Christ and a Christian is a follower of Christ, then if Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom, what do you think the follower of Christ is going to be doing? Serving and probably in the process denying his self, dying unto self. So let's take a look at that. Number one. Serving the Lord on our terms. Oh, I love that part. Uh, Matthew eight nineteen to 22. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples uh, said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. 
Boy, that was really unfeeling of Jesus, don't you think? Scott shook his head no. Everybody in agreement with Scott? Look, when, when we serve the Lord, we serve the Lord on His terms. We don't come when, okay, I, I've had all my fun. Now it, it's time to serve the Lord. No, 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 no. You were serving the Lord the whole time. And what you offered to Him as your sacrifice, going to burn up. It's worthless. has no, no eternal value. Um, there's only a few things worth being serious about. And those things are the eternal things. God, His Word, souls. Anything else? Those are the things worth being serious about. Okay, so it's not a matter of you having your own fun. Um, Luke 9, 57 and 58. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road, someone said to him, Lord, I will... Uh, follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds have air, uh, uh, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, whole point being is, this isn't a joy ride. If you're going to be following me, you understand it comes with its difficulties. Okay? Uh, goes on in 59 and 60. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go. Uh, first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. You know, I, I have uh, I get, uh, eight brothers and sisters. Um, one of them has gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, another one lives in South Carolina, uh, one down in Florida, uh, some in New Hampshire, some in Connecticut. I have almost zero contact with them. Uh, why? When I got saved, it was a stage I was going through. And uh, I made sure I shared the gospel with each and every one of them, and, uh, except for the one that recently died because she already had left the family, disconnected with the family, lived out in California, never talked to the family, so I never got to talk to her. But I uh, uh, shared the gospel with each and every one of them. When I uh, came back with Lynn uh, to introduce her to my family, um, I was looking for my mom to say, good job. Go for it. And uh, she goes, I, I'm not saying anything because if it doesn't work out, you'll blame me. It's kind of like, well, thanks for the help, mom. Um, but uh, one of my sisters, she goes, boy, uh, you've really mellowed him out. Last time he was here, he was sending all of us to hell, which of course I was not doing. <laughs> um, another time uh, when we were visiting, uh, my sister's daughter was being a problem for her. So she asked me to talk to her. And so I started talking to her, and of course, if I'm going to talk to you, Christ is going to come into that picture. Well, you'd have seen the way people ran out of that house. It was like their hair was on fire. Ah, he's talking about Jesus. Um, my family really doesn't want much to do with me because they know that the stage has now lasted going on 42 years, and they really don't want that. Okay? Now, I'm sure that they think, I don't want to talk to them. Anytime that we contact each other on Facebook, um, I'm always loving, cordial, uh, friendly. Um, but yeah, even a full-blooded sister, nothing to do with me. Let the dead bury the dead. Now, I pray for them. I pray that God will bring someone that's saved into their life and that that person will live Christ in such a way that they might be drawn to Christ. Um, 
But that's about all that happens. Let the dead bury the dead. Okay? I know some people think that they need to go home and, and win all their family to Christ before they can do anything else. Hey, if that's what God's called you to, have at it. Uh, he's approached me a little bit different. Uh, Luke, uh, eight, uh, Luke 9, 61 and 62. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me go first go and bid them fare, farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Whole point being is, what's important here? It's getting on the same page with God with the various things that we talked about earlier. Uh, Truth, joy, love, determination, humility. Getting on the same page with Him and staying on that page. Serving the Lord with diligence, uh, with uh, fervor. So not on our terms. And notice it is not according to your timing. This one guy wanted to go home and deal with all of the things that this life has to offer. And when that's taken care of, then we'll go. Uh, it's, uh, it's amazing how many people in their 50s uh, want to go to the mission field. It's kind of like, if that's what God's called them to do, hallelujah, go. Uh, but, good time to go when you're young and stupid and, and don't know anything yet. Why? Because you're going to be facing it. <laughs> Let me tell you. And you're going to make a lot of mistakes. But by the time you're 50, you probably will have been used by God to effective, uh, effectively serve Him in the lives of many, many people. Okay? So not according to your timing. Number two, on Christ's terms. Matthew 10, 38, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Look, self-denial, uh, taking up your cross and following him, it is essential. If you're not willing to do that, well, one has to ask, are you saved? And I'm not doubting your salvation. I'm saying the same thing that Paul said. Examine yourself. Are you part of the body of Christ? If you are, then you take up your cross. You follow. Okay? Um, the other verse here, uh, Matthew 16, 24. Uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So first of all, self-denial or death to self, if you will. Uh, Matthew nineteen twenty one. Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect... Go, sell what you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Now, this is the outworking, okay? He's talking to a guy that is rich, and the guy says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, keep the commandments. Yeah, I've done that. Okay, what do we know about the commandments? It's through the law is the knowledge of sin, which means, no, you didn't, Okay? And even if you think you did on the external, we know in the heart, oh man, you are messed up, okay? So you didn't do that. Now, I want to show you that you didn't do it. Because if you're going to follow me, you deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Um, I don't think that's really good. You know, it's not wisdom to do that because you know I could be supporting your ministry and, and things like that. 
He went away very, very sad that day. And the disciples said, He had money. Why didn't you have him donate it to our little box here? Because Judas would get... No, no, no. Um, That's how we think. Christ is worried about his soul. That You're attached to this stuff. You're missing the point. So if you want to follow me, get rid of it all. Now, I'm not suggesting that you all go out and get rid of it all. There's a book that I have on my shelf. I think it's Radical Faith or something like that. And the whole point of that is you really need to get rid of it. No, no, no. Okay? Because uh, if you all get rid of it, none of us are going to have anything. And we're not going to have lights, air conditioning, fans, or anything like that. Okay? I'm not suggesting that. What I am suggesting is when Christ meets you and he puts on your heart the things that you need to do to deny yourself, take up your cross, you deal with that. Okay? So that's self-denial. 1 Peter uh, 2.21 says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. You know, every now and again, you'll hear me say, oh man, do I want to get into this? And then, of course, I step headlong into it, sometimes in the wrong way. Uh, but, But the reality is, is, Did Christ beat around the bush? Did he? Or did he speak directly to issues? And we'll sit there and say, well, he gave us the parables. That's kind of beating around the bush. No, the parables were to be understood by those who followed him. It was to hide the truth from those who didn't. But when he dealt with issues, he spoke directly to the issue. Um, Last week, one of the points that I made was... Things that prevent us from seeing the face of God. When you serve in Awana and you start out in Puggles and then you go to Cubbies and then you go to Sparkies and then you go to TNT and I might have missed a group in there, I don't know. And then you go to whatever the group is after that. Um, and you're following your kid through. You just want to make sure that they got it and you're just being a good parent. When, when you're doing it for a selfish agenda that might prevent you from actually seeing the face of God. Guess what happened? Someone come to me and said, you shouldn't have used that illustration. Because you're saying this about those people. I said, no, 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 no. I said that might prevent you from seeing the face of God. So interpretation is a gift. (laughs) Um, Whole point being is we want to be careful that we're not doing things with personal agendas and they look spiritual. That, that was the point. But we don't always like hearing that because it might be an example that we ourselves are actually following. You might not be, but you might be. You have to determine that. I can't say. I'm not saying that those people aren't serving the Lord. I'm just saying if they're doing it for personal agenda reasons, it might prevent them from seeing the face of God. Okay, so uh, it's not about comfort, notice. It's not about uh, according to your timing. It's on Christ's terms, so we have self-denial, becoming what He will make us. Mark 1.17, and Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, for Chuck Wood, he may say, Follow me, and you'll be building the kingdom of God. Why? Because he's using terminology that those people understood. Okay? Chuck's a builder. 
it's not Bob the builder, it's Chuck's the builder. And uh, he, he would probably speak to him with what he understood. They understood fishing. But notice he's making them fishers of men. The way Chuck builds a building could, people might come to the conclusion, wow, that guy is really a good constructor. Why, why are you taking that extra time, that extra money? Because I'm doing it for Christ. Oh. Or he could deter from that by doing a lousy job. <coughs> Excuse me. So becoming what he will make us. Uh, on Christ's terms, according to knowledge. In John 10, 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Uh, do you know Christ? If you do, what is the result? You're going to be following him. And if you're following him, you're following him on his terms, not on yours. Okay? And then, of course, number letter D here, regardless of what, is, what God is doing in, for, or with another. John 21, 22, and Jesus said to him, he's talking to Peter, and he's saying, you know, you've always been pretty much in charge of your life, and there's going to come a time when someone else is going to uh, make you go someplace that you really don't want to go. It's kind of like, oh, okay. That doesn't sound like a good idea. And then he looks at John. He goes, well, what about him? And, and Jesus' response is this. i got to find the one. That, there he goes. <laughs> if I will, if I desire that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. One of the ways that this works out in... Uh, in the church is, why aren't you more like John MacArthur? We, we've had people that have basically thought that there was something wrong with us because we weren't, we weren't like John MacArthur. Kind of like, we teach a lot of the same things, probably almost all the same things. What do you mean we're not like him? Well, you know, he's got that church of 5,000. Know, God has blessed him. Hallelujah. Well, their elders meet nine times a month. Isn't that nice? Most of their elders are actually paid staff. Uh, I imagine they have to be at the me uh, staff meetings, okay? Uh, could our elders meet more often? Maybe. We had an elders meeting yesterday. One of them didn't show up. He was at a funeral. Was there anything wrong with that? No, not at all. Uh, the other three, uh, was there three of us? Yeah, three of us total. That included me. <laughs> um, we talked about the things that we know, and, and we had a time of prayer, and uh, we went home. And now pastor wants to have another one this Saturday. What's with that? No, actually, it'll be good uh, to have him a part of that. But uh, notice, regardless of what God is doing in, for, or with someone else, your job is to do what God has called you to do. Stop worrying about what someone else is doing or how it's working out for them. Then letter D. Serving or following. Following or serving. Huh? <laughs> John twelve twenty six. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. 
Now, notice, which is first? If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Which one's first? Serving. But at the same time, we've shown where if you're a follower, you're going to serve. And here he's saying, if you serve, follow. It's one of those circle type things. If you're following, you're going to be serving. If you're serving, you should be following. Okay? And maybe that's said that way because sometimes we get so busy serving that we forget to look at the author and finisher of our faith and we get going on a little detour, on our own little thing here. Okay? So notice, number one, yes. Serving or following, following or serving, yes. Number two, position in Christ. According to Romans chapter 6, 4, 10 and 11, we are to be walking in the newness of life, or if you will, living unto God. Uh, 6, 4, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, not the baptism that we saw last week, but the spiritual baptism that happens at the moment of salvation, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So what does that say about us? We were raised with him to walk in newness of life. To live as, uh, according to who we are now in Christ. Verses 10 and 11. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also live unto God. No, that's not what it says. It says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you're going to be serving and following, there's got to be that belief in what God has said about you. You were buried with Christ. You, were, uh, you died with Christ. You were buried with Christ. You've been raised again to live differently. You no longer have a master called sin. You have a master called Jesus. So that deals with the position. But uh, also there's more. Uh, letter B, in relation to disputable items. Romans 14, 6 to 8. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks, uh, uh, God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So what is your life all about? Living unto God. Following Christ. Serving Christ. Yes. Okay? And then notice, as far as in relation to disputable things, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.12, All things are lawful to me. Not all things are beneficial. Not all things are helpful. Not all things are expedient, depending on your version. He goes on to say, All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. If it's got control of you, it's wrong. Don't do it. But you're free. You've been saved to be free, to serve God. And if you're free, don't use that freedom for license, but in love serve one another. How about uh, number two there? Nothing that causes a brother to stumble. 1 Corinthians 8.13, all concerned about the weaker brother, the one who doesn't eat meat. You don't want to do things that are going to cause him to stumble. Because in walking in freedom, in serving the Lord, in living unto God, you're concerned about your brother. Number three, all things are lawful to me. Not all things are expedient. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. 
If they're not edifying you, if you're involved in them and it's not being edifying to someone else, maybe those are things that ought to be let go of. That's living unto God. And then 1 Corinthians 10.31, it doesn't matter what you do, you do all to the glory of God. So your position in Christ affects the decisions you're going to make. And then last of all, in relation to yourself. Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, notice the wording, reasonable service. If you're going to serve the Lord, you need to understand that He's called you to die to yourself and live according to who you are. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So give yourself to Him. This is the reasonable, the logical thing to do when you look at the information. How about uh, 2 Corinthians 5.15? And that He died for all, that those who live, those that are born again, should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Whole point being is, if you're going to be involved in serving the Lord, and if you're a follower of Christ, you need to be involved in serving the Lord, grab what the Bible says, believe it, and understand that your life now is a service to Him. Everything you do, everything you say. Now, now think about that for just a moment. Will it change some of the things you do and say? I guarantee it probably will. Is that a problem? If you're not denying yourself, it might be. But if you're taking up your cross and you're following Him, believe me, it won't matter. It's easy to let that stuff go when you see them in light of who you are and what God has called you to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your love, for Your care, for the things that You've done to make us new people in Christ. With that in mind, we look to You to examine our lives. Let your Spirit put his finger on the things that need to go, whether it be thoughts, activities, behavioral patterns. And Lord, give us grace to submit to you for the changes that you would make so that you might be glorified in us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.